This episode of the Sex Nerd Sandra podcast is brought to us by Squarespace.com, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to Squarespace.com and use our offer code SEXNERD. Their packages start at just $8 a month, and you get a free domain name when you sign up for a full year. Now, I have a big crush on Squarespace, especially their 24-7 support team, and their responsive design on all the pads, and ooh, their easy interface for connecting all the networks on your website. So um, go there, start your free trial with no credit card required, and start building your website today. And remember, that promo code SEXNERD is there just for you. Squarespace, you deserve an exceptional website. Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Sex Nerd Sandra Podcast. Whoa, what are all these kids doing in here? Hey, if you're under 18, go ask your mom. Now that we're alone, let's start the show. monkeys welcome to the last episode of the year we did it (laughs) now i don't know about you but my 2013 has been quite a wild ride and a wonderful one at that and i have you to thank or blame but mainly thank for that um bunches of that belong to you so thank you thanks for your positivity your curiosity, your openness, your intelligence, my God, your intelligence, to take what you will from this show and leave the rest. I appreciate that, the internet. I am humbled that you might take the time to make this show part of your life. You bring me into your home, into your your ear holes. That's a very delicate personal place to be, and I am deeply honored. Uh, So now, I wanted to give you a heads up because I've got some big plans for the new year and it involves packing more and more fun and discovery into every week. So I just wanted to give you a heads up so you can prepare yourselves for what's about to happen, you guys. Now, speaking of excited, this episode, I am so caffeinated. I was listening and I'm like, oh, this is a fun second half of this show. This is cool. And then like the last bit, I am so caffeinated that I'm practically yelling into the mic. And I'm like, it's weird when you listen to yourself from a different moment in life and you're like, dude, coffee is not your friend. Ah, so sorry about the mic distortion. Uh, Thanks to my guests for their genius and their patience with me. Dr. Catherine Frank, Dr. Jamie Lawson, Sean Westfall of DC Improv, and all the... God, there was such a huge crowd of naughty monkeys there. I couldn't even believe it. Uh, And for those of you who asked your questions, extra kudos to you. So uh, I am one lucky duck, and I love you guys every day. So uh, enjoy the rest of the show, and I'll see you next year. Okay, all right, okay, all right, okay. This is what we're going to do. Game plan. Game plan, guys. You two are going to share that mic. I'm going to have this mic. And if you can be the boss of this mic. I will be the boss of this mic. All right, it's questions time. How many people do we have questions? We have three questions. All right, uh, you only get... Oh, it's four. Um, oh, so many things. You last uh, three back. You raise your hand first. A question right here. So you talked about um, sperm competition and how that affects uh, male evolution but is there equivalent egg competition, anything that would affect how females evolve to compete with other females if uh, males are having sex with multiple females? Yeah, so that, yeah, so that does happen. Um, most of uh, 
uh, we seem to come from a species where um, at some point in our evolutionary history males have been the ones that did the competing for access to the females. And you can tell that because um, males are a bit bigger than females. <laughs> this is just random, okay. random sampling. And, um, <laughs> okay. so she, is way, she is way taller than me. <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, that happens in species where males compete for access to females. Males tend to get bigger than the females. Like, again, in the gorilla, where the male gorilla is twice the size of the female, and males compete physically for access to the female. Where that's reversed... In species where females compete for access to males, like in some um, uh, birds and in seahorses, classically, uh, females get bigger. And in hyenas, actually. Female hyenas are bigger than males. Also, they have penises. That's weird. Um, um, <laughs> and we can talk about that, if you like. So anyway. <laughs> uh, another question right here. Well, going back to the cultural side of things, uh, it was mentioned that in all cultures, there's some level of either stigma or sex negativity that's kind of been documented. And it may not be the same thing that we have in our current Western culture, but it might be something completely different. Um, I was wondering, does that mean that our kind of quest in the sex-positive movement to intellectualize uh, sex and make it okay all the way around is doomed because we're just not good at it and we, we in some level we want to be upset about parts of sex is that no, oh that's good a good question. question yeah um, I, I do think we can always do better I'm just saying I haven't found you know even communities that are supposed to be sex positive right they're bringing in sometimes ideas from the broader culture or there are human things that I think you know um People have sometimes bad experiences, and those come back out in sex. I mean, sex, you know, Freud said sex was the weak spot, and in many ways, I really agree with that, that you're going to get all of your conflicting emotions, and everything's going to eventually come out there. So, you know, ideas about relationships Mm -hmm. and equity and Mm -hmm. and love and your hopes and your parental relationships and all these things can come into play. Um, And maybe if everything's perfect for you your whole life and you live in a perfect place where resources are never scarce and... You know, then you wouldn't see some of these other things slipping in. But I think that just because there hasn't been a place that's been able to do it doesn't mean we could, should stop trying. Right? I think there's a lot of things can be done better. Yeah, I will say this about um, I love your question deeply, like deeply in my heart places. Um, but I would say that uh, there's a lot of conversation around like people who are like I, I like people who want to be a sex educator, or people who like want to. Uh, well, find a sexually open community to have parties in their in in their neighborhood, and it's interesting because it's then you become the change that you want to see in the world. It's then create your community, create that type of like I've you know been so lucky to be welcomed and invited to uh, groups where I can observe and kind of see what's going on and be like, well, this is interesting, or like this, well, that's your welcome circle. That's fascinating. I mean, it's not to, like anthropological standards, but I'm just like, oh, you neat. So I think it's it's about people trying trying things, and I think the 60s and 70s were a really exciting time, and and there and those people are still around telling their stories but truly if you want to see what does it feel like to be in a group and what feelings do come up I feel like sex will always kind of have a fun dirty naughty thing going on about it and that's great but I think it's when the shame and uh, guilt come up that that's uh, to be to be as free as you can from that type of feeling and still negotiate you know and take care of yourself you know I think that's like that's like be aware of it and process it too I mean disgust is going to come into play with sex why are people who deal with sex who work with sex directly like escorts or prostitutes they're degraded right I mean that's why is 
bukkake even, where a woman is ritually covered with semen. I mean, that was a punishment when it originated, right? Really? And yes, it was a Japanese punishment. Having sex with people is often a way to like, punish them, right? It's a way to punish people who don't fit their gender norms. So, and it is a way to punish because it does bring up those boundaries. The boundaries of your body. I mean, we teach it kids, that is not you. That poopy diaper is not you. This is you, right? You, so... Everyone grows up who has some sort of disgust rules. Wherever you are, you find that. Or you find it's a very young child or someone who's not mentally the same as an adult, right? In whatever culture. So I don't think we can get rid of that, but I think that we can recognize it. So I think you need to um, think about where the notion of transgression comes from as well, where the notion of what is acceptable sexually is coming from. We've touched on the idea that sex is connected to power, but sex, as we've been discussing in the conference that the three of us were at, sex is inextricable from power. A society puts rules on people about what is acceptable at a particular time, and the reason, perhaps, that different cultures all have a notion of what is sexually acceptable and what is sexually transgressive is because societies have a vested interest in controlling the sexual lives of the people who live in those societies. There was a wonderful, wonderful quote that was said in the keynote speech at our uh, conference recently, a quote from Berthold Brecht, that says, if you control somebody sexually, you control them absolutely I think that's something that we need to consider when we're talking about moving forwards mm-hmm. in this really? and what it means to grasp sexual freedom and where these rules are coming from and what they're for. Ah, oh, that, was, that was nice. We've got lots of sound bites. Yeah. Uh, another question? Okay, so you guys talked a lot about power and um, the subject of BDSM got brought up. So that seems to me like you're, uh, you have feelings, like a kind of like cultural thing. And then have you noticed that in the animal kingdom? Like I don't see chimpanzees bashing each other with like bananas or whatever. <laughs> so I mean, like that seems like a, like a kind of violent thing that we bring into pleasure. And then our society accepts it as kind of like a subculture I guess so have you noticed that in like the animal kingdom and how is it perceived in society with your group sex study and whatnot? such good questions um animal bit um <laughs> yeah no uh chimps bonobos not so good at, uh, at the whole bondage thing they're not good at knots <laughs> um oh my god but um power Power is in there. We've discussed that, yeah. So power is connected to the dominance hierarchy in chimpanzees. That's how that's expressed. That humans have made power a more complex thing is consistent with us being a slightly more complex, uh, socially, a more complex animal. That we take things and we put meaning on them. So whatever dominance means to a chimpanzee, we have no way of accessing that. But dominance and hierarchy means something to humans, and that's connected to ideas of power. What BDSM community is involved with, well, it reflects sex at its best, which is a consensual exchange of power. Mm-hmm. At its best, that's what sex is. At its worst, it is uh, somebody taking power from somebody else without permission. Um, and that's something that tracks across human societies. It, it might have its roots in like a hierarchy system from the animal that we come from, but if so, it's uh, been transformed by this tendency of humans to overcomplicate things. Yeah, it's... <laughs> The witnessing of, of, to observe, like if someone for the uninitiated observes two humans participating in some impact play, you know, under, under the umbrella of BDSM, it's like, well, there's violence, and I see that uh, in the animal kingdom, and, but we're just suddenly making it okay and calling it BDSM. No! Safe, sane, and consensual. I mean, there's consent. Those people have uh, equal power, 
in the agreement that they're going to do that. And then one, it, basically you're handing power to, to someone else uh, for that, that playtime. And, you know, go at it. But can I, and can I add, I think there's another element to it too that we get caught up in the idea of power because that's a, it's a key issue around sexuality in our society. But one of the other things people are going through for, through sex and through um, BDSM, through a lot of different sexual practices, is transcendence. Sort of an escape from the idea of the self, becoming someone else, feeling something else, feeling the boundaries of your body change. Um, and that's, those types of experiences are things people have sought again, throughout history in different ways. And we had the sun dance, right, where people were piercing their flesh. We still now have flesh pulls where some people may orgasm, some people may not. But they're, what they're going for there is it's a type of um, transcending the idea of your, your personal body and changing your experiences of pain or discomfort into a type of pleasure. You've had it in religious rituals. You've had fire walkers. I mean, so there's a lot of practices that may seem violent to someone looking mm-hmm. at them. Um, but that actually have to do with a whole different process, too. Right? Yeah, totally. I love that you just referenced Sundance Festival. Because I've been to a Sundance Festival. Oh, really? And it's totally, uh, in, it's an intense experience. Um, people are basically just piercing their bodies, connected to a tree of life. There's all this symbolism. There's sweat lodges, all these things. And then it's like the, the height of the whole thing. They run away from the tree and like all this flesh is tearing. And yeah, yeah well, yeah. Ooh. But at the same time, like, whoa, these people are like in, in heightened states they, of, of bliss. Right. And you can attach to other people also. So oh, their yeah. movements affect your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it becomes more of a group transcendence. It's a rebirth. And it's like sort of this painful but beautiful experience of, of being born again. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. But yeah, I got excited that you, you talked about that. It's pretty cool. Um, and is, is there another question? Yep, yep, yep. So I couldn't possibly compete with all the other awesome questions. So I just wanted to say um, I'm a huge fan. Um, and I Thanks. work at a certain uh, independent bookstore in this town. And so I just wanted to get your picks for what you thought. I'm trying to expand our sexuality section, which is pitifully small. Um, and what are, what are three books that each of you, or one book from each of you that you would recommend that we should carry in our store? So you, in essence, want them to do your work for you. Is that what you want? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's a, so difficult. That's so difficult. Well, mating in captivity, I feel like for for relationship stuff, is an important book to have around. Um, I mean, I I love the guide to getting it it on, as like, like as a Bible. I mean, but that's like my younger self, like that really loved that book so deeply. And now I've kind of graduated to other books. I feel like the. Um, Women's, uh, the anatomy of women's arousal and pleasure. Oh, wait, no, women's anatomy and arousal. It's a red book. It's very pretty by Sherry Winston. I know I always forget the freaking title, but I think that's a, an important book. But there's so many books. It's not fair, dude. I'm mad at you now. Okay, so I'm really rubbish at remembering authors' names, but um, uh, there's a, an edited volume called Introducing the New Sexuality Studies. Um, uh, three authors on that. That's awesome. goes through a whole lot of different stuff. Um, just for the, the biology side of it, probably The Red Queen by Matt Ridley. Ooh. That just introduces you to like, the basic, the evolutionary psychology side. Take it or leave it. Um, and the book I'm reading at the moment by an author whose again, name is gone, um, When Sex Became Gender. Forget that. Oh, we like that title. <laughs> and I'm not going to allow you to plug uh, your own book, but yes... Kate Frank's book, so 2013. This book plays well in groups. Uh, should be first. Yes. 
Um, actually, I can't even answer the question because, I mean, I have 30 pages of references, I think, in that book, and I have 1,100 footnotes, even though it's, a, it's not written as that kind of book, but I just had to put it all in there at the end because there's so many different questions that you can ask and mm-hmm. so much information that I can't even think of one, two, or three that... Yeah, I mean, I would say... If you're trying to curate, a, and anyone who has wants an awesome bookshelf of, I mean, because my sexuality and relationship bookshelves, like it's on the floor, it's on in the, it's, it's, if anyone, like it's, there's so many books and then piled, there's just so many books, I can't even handle it. So it's, make sure that you represent different needs. So like actual sexuality and relationships and alternative lifestyles and science things, you know, biology, just make it well-rounded that's what I want that's what I want for you okay all right thank you do do, do, do we have time for another question yeah yeah totally go go another question and it can be advice too like it doesn't have to necessarily be science uh, or anthropology focused all right this question might be a little controversial but I'm hoping that you can give me a non- moralistic kind of answer. I think you can. So you were talking all about the animal kingdom and then how we're like animals and how species can intermate. So I'm going to ask the bestiality question. From a bio and a cultural standpoint, I mean, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) You know, yeah. Bring it home. Bring it home. (laughs) Uh... So yeah, um, it connects to something else uh, that we yeah. This, uh, humans do this thing. Um, we've got we talk about sex as being primarily a reproductive thing, right? Like evolutionary, that's the thing that evolutionist people talk about. Sex um, is about reproduction. The weird thing about sex, though, is that um, most sex that's had doesn't result in babies. That's individually or on like a worldwide level. Most sex that you have does not result in offspring, and that's a really odd thing if we're going to persist in saying that the primary function of sex is reproduction. Those two things don't quite mesh. So then if you open up, um, sex uh, isn't just about reproduction and the pleasurable side of sex, and humans aren't the only animal that has sex for pleasure, we covered that, um, then humans end up with a situation where they look for other ways to access that sexual pleasure. Um, uh, humans aren't the only animal that has non-reproductive sex with other animals either. That happens. Uh, dolphins occasionally have occasionally attempted to have sex with humans. Um, bonobos have sex with anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, that happens. When we're talking about like uh, hybridization in the animal kingdom, that's when two species um, reproduce and uh, and have fertile offspring or offspring, they tend to be really, really closely related. That's why the definition of species becomes troubling. We've said these two things are different species. Um, Nature disagrees slightly on that definition. Um, Nature. Yeah. Stupid. Complicated everything. Um, Why humans... What's with the... What's with bestiality? Uh, That's where we come into this thing about um, humans' tendency to want to draw boxes around each other as well, to give subcultures a name, to claim identity for themselves, to ascribe meaning to sex. I'm going to sidestep the moral question. Right. I mean, also, uh, Jamie and I were talking about this the other day, that uh, in terms of research, 
science can tell us what is, they're not necessarily telling us what is good or bad. Those are conclusions we can draw, right? So he's just, he's saying what is. <laughs> so thank you for sidestepping the moral question. Because, you know, it's, I mean, it's, um, anyway, hey, you. <laughs> Go, okay, I give bestiality that happened. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I didn't read much in my area on, on bestiality because of the illegal nature of it mm-hmm. in the U.S. Um, you know, in looking historically at people's sex practices, people have transgressed that boundary for a long time as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have references to it um, pretty far back. So I think that one thing that I came away learning is that we're pretty curious and people have just put about everything in their orifices and they've tried every combination. It's true. Sex. I really, I can't prove it, but I believe that they always have tried. They put everything things. in there. You know what's fun is um, during an oral sex class or, or anything where I'm, I'm talking about, or I'm explaining like male anatomy. So I talk about penises. And so on just the tip of people putting all sorts of things in their bodies. And so especially people who don't have penises and trying to explain to them that it's okay to squeeze Firmly and to, um, you know, it, it, light touch. Some people want a firmer touch. It's okay. Do it. And they're like, what? And then I'm like, no, really. How hard can you squeeze my arm? And then they like squeeze it really hard. And I'm all like, the penis can take that. And I'm like, what? And like, I'm like, do you realize? And this will be, it'll be a mixed class with males, females, everybody, trans people. And I'll be like, guys do crazy things with their penises. You don't even know the things that they do with their penises. And like, just the guys in the room are kind of like, yeah, it's true, you know? And it's just funny because I never expected in saying that because it's partially a joke. Also, there are lots of stories and anecdotes about that. But it's just funny to watch. I didn't expect so many males to nod and, and agree publicly. It's just, it's a funny ass moment in teaching workshops. That's all I'm saying. The end. Yes, I interrupted you. I just had to, I felt like sharing. <laughs> okay. <sighs> yeah, pe- people are going to do that sometimes. Yeah. And I think in the U.S. it's a problem. It's, you know, animals can't consent. It's looked at as cruelty. Yes. It's looked at as immoral. And so, you know, there's a lot going on there. But if, if we know something else from human sexuality over time, it's whenever you tell them something is bad and they can't do it, it takes on a certain attractiveness for some mm-hmm. people as well. Yeah, vegetables are gross. Vegetables are the worst. They're just so bad for you. Don't eat vegetables. Don't eat vegetables. They're bad. I'm trying. I'm really trying. Um, ah, that was a good question. We have a question over here on this side. Oh. Sean, you're doing awesome, by the way. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so you touched briefly on the idea of the most sex-positive commu- um, cultures versus the least sex-positive cultures. So what but you kind of just like breezed past that. So what would you define or describe as the most sex positive culture? And like, what is it? When was it? And then kind of, how did you decide that that was the most sex positive? Uh That's a great question. It's not something I actually did though. So it's hard. I can't really answer. I mean, I didn't really, I wasn't trying to rank them in terms of their positive or negative nature. I was actually just trying to research what people did and how they thought about the things that they did in each place and each time. What was sort of a, um, my thoughts on sex positive versus sex negative sort of came out of just doing that research, not trying to hierarchy, you know, organize them. But um, I, there's a lot of talk about sex positive versus sex negative in, in the U.S. right now or in feminist theory and, um, and in sexuality studies. And so 
I was struck thinking about the, you know, well, what, it, what does sex positive mean? And is there a place that was more sex positive? And I, one thing I started doing is tracing back references that people would give. They would, you know, say, look at this society. You know, they had group sex all the time or they had sex in public and um, people weren't ashamed of it and people ran around with less clothes on. And then I would trace it back and I would look at the ethnographies, um, the original writings about those cultures, and I would find a a lot more complexity there than was often offered to me in some of the, when they were first putting it forward as a sex-positive place. Um, so I think that complexity is there. Mm-hmm. I think that complexity is almost always going to be there. Now, maybe that would be a great... It's hard without going into like the specifics of different places, which I don't think we want to do, but... Um, but, for example, you know, Tahiti's always been put forth as a very positive example of sexuality. And again, in some ways, they were very positive. Um, they were very different. They were positive in ways that were different from how, say, a modern U.S. culture is. So they get put forth as its example. But when you follow that example back, it might have been so great if you were a woman who got pregnant from a man of a much higher rank than you, right? Or a very different um, place in the social hierarchy. They had hierarchies. They had rules. There were things you weren't supposed to do, and you always find that. So whether... Uh, another example of, of a society that's put forth as very sex positive was the Canela of Brazil. And um, women did have them. a lot of sex. Women were allowed to have sex um, before marriage. They were allowed to have sex after marriage. They sometimes had group sex. Um, but you should never have sex with the same sex person, right? I mean, you did not have... Uh, women having sex together or men having sex together. So there's, it depends sort of on what you want, whether you fit your cultural rules, right? Oh, wait. If we're playing uh, cross-cultural examples. Um, uh, I have an example that I've been thinking about a lot that's been quite um, important in the way I'm thinking about sexual categories at the moment that might play with your category system a little. Um, so brace. Um, <laughs> Did you think it was going to be that easy to find out what he's about to tell you? No! It's Sex Nerd Sandra here from the future, from when this was recorded, telling you about adamandeve.com. Yes, go to adamandeve.com, type in promo code SEXNERD at checkout, and hey, who wants to get 50% off of anything in the store almost? Uh, you? Yeah, go there and type in SEXNERD. You want free shipping? Type in SEXNERD. You want that free gift? <laughs> type in SEXNERD. And three free DVDs to throw at your friends or hide in the woods or hey, even watch maybe? Hmm? Yeah, type in SEXNERD. So yes. It's the holidays, adamandeve.com, clearly a really good choice of uh, maybe buying a secret gift to give to your sexy loved one. Hmm? Have you been naughty or nice? And other holiday catchphrases, maybe. Mm. There are plenty of stocking stuffers and chimney sweeps that you are able to purchase at this online store. So go to adamandeve.com, type in sex nerd, and enjoy everything that comes in that unmarked box, you. You naughty monkey. Okay, are you still bracing? Are you still bracing? Okay, get ready, because Jamie is about to blow my mind. Uh, I have an example that I've been thinking about a lot that's been quite um, important in the way I'm thinking about sexual categories at the moment that might play with your category system a little. Um, so brace. Um, uh, remember earlier on we were talking, I was talking about how there's problems with defining what homosexuality is across different species. We're talking about that, okay? So I'm going to introduce you to a culture called the Sambaya, who are in Papua New Guinea, right? And the Sambaya um, observed something very early on in their history as a culture. Whenever it was, they observed that uh, women menstruate. Uh, women menstruate, and that marks their arrival into adulthood. So they concluded, not unreasonably, that women have an organ that produces menstrual blood. 
and that that comes online and that menstrual blood is the thing that makes women mature. They observe that men don't do that, mm -hmm. so men must need assistance in developing into men. Boys develop, okay? okay. Now that, that observation has caused a whole lot of really interesting stuff that happens. Like the men mm -hmm. simulate menstruation. They drive um, nails into their noses to make their noses yeah. bleed ritually so that they can enact menstruation. Oh, well, it's like penis things, envy, but the other way. One of the things that happens, okay, the way that men, the boys develop into men um, is by, they get moved out into a sort of bachelor hut. They all live together and they go through, they go through various ritual stages um, to from boy to man. So there's like a hierarchy. There's levels. And what you do when you're a boy at one level is you fillate the boys at the levels above you and you ingest their semen. Okay? That's oh, that, not, hel that helps mature that, them? They, they take the semen in and they become men. Mm -hmm. And that's what the semen does. It makes men, boys into men. Okay? That is not optional. Every single man, every single boy in that society spends most of his childhood and teenage years sucking off men who are older than them. Oh, so it's not just like a one-night no. ritual. This is like, well, I'm level two. Oh, yeah. It's fellatio time. All the time. Interesting. Okay. I didn't know that. And then they, 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 become, they have a wife who's betrothed to them at birth. They marry her. They become men when they give birth. she gives birth to their first son. Okay, so my question is, and I don't have an answer to this question. My question is, how do you go into that society and say, hi, where are your gay men? They're just hanging out level two for a while. It's just like, I know, you guys go ahead. I'll just stay here. For... <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, cool. It's, it's a judgment statement. It's not, it's fine. It's neutral. I'm science-y. Uh, next question. Hi there. Um, so you talked about, like, symmetry and human beings and how we're attracted to symmetrical, you know, people. But... I mean, I got the impression that a lot of animals just, you know, fuck whatever. Um, I was just wondering if our, like, attraction to symmetry in each other comes from a more cultural thing, since it didn't really, it doesn't really seem, I mean, from the impression I got from you, to be happening in animals and stuff. I was oh, just uh, curious about that. It does that. happen. I mean, like, the classic example is a peacock, a like peacock's tail, which is huge. Um, you guys have peacocks here? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course you do. You have everything. You have everything here. It's amazing. Anyway, um, yeah, peacocks. Uh, they've got these amazing, big, big elaborate tra uh, tails, trains they're called, um, that are amazing colours, lustrous greens and blues, and they're strongly symmetrical. And you can show that um, not only do females choose males based on the symmetry and the quality of the, of the things, but males with more symmetrical tails, with more lustrous tails, actually produce um, more healthy offspring. So it does seem to track in other things. But the, the cultural question is really important. We can't forget that. So, like, at the bottom of this... No, I can't even say at the bottom. There is, like, a biological thing happening, but then humans come along and they put meaning on things and they say, hey, currently symmetry is important, everybody. And everybody goes, okay, let's do symmetry now. Um, but symmetry seems to be the pervasive thing. We like symmetrical objects, too. It tracks through a lot of preferences. Um, we like, like, the fronts of cars look very much like faces, and the cars that people like seem to track with their face preferences as well. It's, Okay, but, like, aside from... Okay, so just throw away the cultural thing, then. So you've got the animals, right? And some of them decide to just fuck everything, and then other ones are like, oh, biology, symmetry, love? I don't understand. Uh. 
A good question. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so... There's no, it's not quite true to say, like, bonobos, these things that we've been talking about, just starting to fuck anything and everything, they do make decisions. They do seem to be able to discriminate. So they prefer often... Uh, chimpanzees prefer sexually mature mates. They prefer mates that might not be related to them very closely. They like... Some chimpanzees, some bonobos are more popular sexually than others, so they do seem to make some sort of a decision. Um, so that happens. Love, I think, is a whole other podcast. So, but really interesting. Love, and there is an actual episode on love. Uh, we have one more quick question possible. The quickest, tiniest baby question, like short, just this big. Twitter question. Oh, wait, oh the, the person right behind you. Wait, people climbing. Okay. Oh, there's so many things happening. There's one right here. I'm confused, but I'm going to put the mic in the front of this woman right here. Thank you. Hey, how are you? Um, you talked a lot about sexual function, but you didn't talk about sexual dysfunction, which advertised all day, everywhere you go, and everything that you see, and people talk about it all the time in their relationships. Can you, any one of you... Sexual dysfunction. Yeah. There's a lot what about sexual... I mean, we see it everywhere. Is it really a thing? Is it... It is. A, <laughs> I mean, no, what can we do a, about it? Yeah, what are they... Yeah, I mean, like, some of the different kinds of... There are a lot of problems that... They talk about women and men with, with anorgasmia, for example. Okay. Does that happen in, across the board in the animal kingdom and the human kingdom? And it's just... That is so... so oh, that's so much. Oh. That's a Twitter question right I there. Mean, <laughs> I, I mean, it definitely I want you to... But, like, I just... The idea of being um, like premature ejaculation or delayed ejaculation or sexual dysfunction or all these ideas about how like, people feel like if unless I can come right when I demand to come, then I am not functioning properly, which is so rigid in terms of what sexuality is in our sexual functioning. So I just to put that out there, like so much of that is just language to sell you things. And we need more education around what is the spectrum of what our bodies can do, especially through the life cycle, you know, our bodies change. Uh, I just have feelings about that because it's just... Well, one thing about group sex is people see other people in sexual situations, which is something we don't really get to see usually. And I think there's a lot to be said for seeing how other people have sex and then thinking back again about what sexual dysfunction or function is. Because sometimes people expect themselves to have a certain kind of sex that looks a particular way. Mm -hmm. And they should have orgasms that look a particular way or sound a particular way, but they've never seen anyone except for on porn Mm -hmm. or... um, you know, those rare occasions in college where they walked in. So I think that mm-hmm. some of those... <laughs> or conferences. Uh, or conferences, yeah. So I think some of our ideas about what sex should look like, you know, how long an erection should last, what it should look like, how sex should happen, uh, come from not seeing real people mm-hmm. having sex. Um, that said, people also have sex like they see on TV sometimes, or they try to, right? So mm-hmm. they import... Pile driver! Into it. Yeah. That's... So, do a lot of yoga for that one. Anyway. And we don't even have time to get into uh, sex addiction and what that would mean and how it would be. There's a lot there. So. Real quick. Bio guy. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> wait, is there wait. sexual dysfunction in the animal kingdom? I don't know how you'd know. Copy that. Um, yeah. I mean, you think about, like, um, so we're talking about uh, anorgasmia. There were questions asked about whether other animals other than humans, um, whether the females achieve orgasm, experience orgasm at all. They often have clitorises. All mammalian females have clitorises. How would you know? 
How would you know whether a, a bonobo is having an orgasm or not? It's okay, what about the whole pigs having orgasms for 30 minutes? Yes, True? False? True. Yes. And does that mean that they're actually having orgasmic tr- contractions for 30 minutes? Or are they like, oh my God. Like, we're like I, can't even, I can't even know. They have sex for a really, really, really long time and ejaculation goes on for ages. Like the actual male uh, yeah, ejaculation? Yeah, how would you, you wouldn't be able to know how the pig is feeling. That's not the point. They seem to be enjoying it, so uh, that's cool. Like, things respond as if they're enjoying it. But okay. how would you know? No. Can't right. ask them. Here. All right. Sean, you, you don't have to be the little kid's table anymore. Come back. Come back. Story of my life. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, you're so great for going out there. Like, isn't he great? Like, aw. Okay. So I'm having... I'm, ha- I'm, wearing, I'm wearing gloves. Why am I wearing gloves? Why am I well, first of all, just in terms of, since we were talking about group sex and, like, crazy sex, of course, uh, using barriers, and, like, someone screamed out, dental dams earlier, like, dental dams, condoms, part of integrating safe sex into your uh, play, it's about being comfortable with your barriers and what you're using, and it's not just, like, boring sauce, I have to use a glove, but, like, gloves can be cool, condoms can be cool. I mean, condoms, um, I've talked about a lot uh, on the podcast about just put a little lube inside or find the right fit, I mean, so much goes into it find like non-American condoms often can feel better. Somebody in the audience was like yes, yes. Um, you know, those sorts of things. And the thing, and I've talked about this on the show before, but I just wanted to in person bring this out because I'm so excited. Wait, I feel like you were about to say something. No, I, w- I was perplexed by non-American condoms. Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, uh, Japanese, Swedish. What's wrong with American condoms? Um, they tend to have uh, lower quality um, ingredients in them oh. and, and animal additives and things. And they just and just there tends to be more sensation the quality like Japanese condoms they get real thin are still very strong okay yeah thank you just, you're welcome <laughs> thank you for asking a question I knew something ha 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 alright I'm excited when I know something um, so I'm wearing these because um, these are black dragon condom uh, <laughs> for your hands I guess um, black dragon gloves I use them for washing the dishes and stuff because they're super fabulous and I just feel like and they match so many outfits like, I just feel delicious wearing them but also they're great for any sort of hand play because not only is safe sex about um, you know preventing STI transmission but it also can help like for instance some females might be so so sensitive um, to oral sex that they can't really handle a lot of stimulation add a dental dam and suddenly they can handle a whole lot more like it can actually really increase the amount of pleasure that they're having uh, and same with rimming rimming can be very ticklish you know but so it just depends um, with gloves it's cool because you know sure if I lube this up like feel my you can feel this like okay yeah it's a glove and if I lubed it up it'd be pretty slippery no yay okay so this is a glove right like oh woo big deal um, but then Lara Catone one of my ex uh, ho- uh, guests from way back taught me that if you turn the glove inside out you suddenly get this um, for those of you who can't see, she's rubbing my hand, and it feels awesome. Have you have you experienced the inside out glove thing? Not. It's my first time with the inside out. Oh my gosh, it's really different. Wow, it's totes cool. You ready? That's very nice indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've been chatting for a bunch of time here. We're definitely going to conclude the show, but I wanted to teach you all something that Nina Hartley just taught me um, before we. We get. Did I hear a he? I'm sorry. Oh, I was like, I thought I heard you be like a Nina Hartley fan. Uh, uh, well, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> 
Cool. So yeah. my, she's pretty cool. Anyway, so she's an adult performer. So um, uh, when I get conference like um, cabin fever, and like I have to leave the hotel sometimes because it's just you're just inside and, and surrounded by people constantly. So I go outside, and Buck Angel and Nina Hartley are hanging out, and um, you may, Buck Angel is a, the man with a vagina, like uh, just an awesome porn star and activist, and just uh, he was on the show as well. And um, we're chatting out there, and it's been it was raining yesterday night, and so it was just kind of romantic. And then Nina Hartley starts going off about this cool way that you can uh, teach someone to pleasure a female, which I had never thought about before. Because one thing I, I in like classes and things, I'll talk about like how to touch your forearm so that because I'm, I'm not going like, to have everyone in a class like jerk off all of a sudden and be like, see, figure it out, right? Like, I like, know <laughs> there are not permits for that, and like, well, it's not necessarily necessary for the subject at hand. But she was like, Sandra, 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 and she like went behind like some sort of odd like. Uh, Star Trek uh, uh, salute, and she take your everyone do this, all right? Take your middle finger and ring finger and straddle your nose bridge, like right here, right? And then pull it up and down just slightly, so you feel your uh, bone of your nose in between your fingers. Feel that? All right, so that. Oh my God! I wish I had a camera. I love it. I love that. That is a perfect way to experience the way that you would stimulate a female's uh, clitoral shaft under the clit hood. I, I am actually, I am actually driving home like this, so I don't <laughs> lose the muscle memory right here. So, because the clit, I mean, the clit, of course, can poke out from the clitoral hood, and the clitoral hood acts almost like a masturbation sleeve over the clitoral shaft. You know, of course, and there's legs, and it's like, oh, there's so much clit inside the body, yes, and this whole thing. Um, but just how to touch a female, and especially because the alignment of you know the angle at which you approach someone else's body sometimes can be awkward. And so the fact that you bring your hand around that, and it's perfect for understanding when you're approaching you know belly button direction down to do that. Perfect. So I just wanted to leave you all with that. But um, <laughs> neat. It's just it's just neat. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Um, uh, Jamie, tell everyone what your Twitter handle is, where they can find you. Also, the fact that you are starting a phenomenal research in the UK that hopefully will be uh, branched out globally. Yes. Um, yeah, you can uh, tweet me at, at Dr. Lawson, um, L-A-W-S-O-N. Thank you. Um, and yeah, if you head to my website, which is um, uh, exceptionalprimate.net, um, it's sort of a work in progress at the moment, but there's stuff on there about my project, which is uh, hopefully going to be a cross-cultural um, look at how people construct gender identity and I'm hoping I've got a UK wing of that running now I'm hoping to bring it here and also um, India and Pakistan at some point so. So if anyone wants to invest in research also good research do it you know because there's not a lot of people doing this type of important orientation gender oh, not orientation gender and sexuality research so I'm just excited thank you okay Kate um, I have a website katefrank.com um, and I'm on Twitter as Dr. Kate Frank, so you can find me either place. Excellent. And on Amazon, I looked at your table of contents and like the forward of your book in the beginning, and I was so excited. I was like, oh, it's juicy, and just the table of contents made me want to read the whole thing. I'm like, damn it, I only have a day. Um, so thank you so much for being on the show. Hi. Hi. Uh, hey, hi. Sean, how's it going? I'm, I'm still fingering my nose. <laughs> 
Um, um, I'm Sean Westfall. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Sean Westfall. Let me spell that for you. S-H-A-W-N-W-E-S-T-F-A-L-L, just like it sounds. Both, uh, both names, just like it sounds. Uh, you can friend me on Facebook. I'd be bereft of my responsibilities if, for those of you who are in, still in the D.C. area. The District Improv Festival is starting uh, this week. Um, I and someone he was in the room earlier. My partner Michael Johnson, not my part, life partner, but my du- <laughs> my improv duo partner, uh, will be performing at the uh, District Improv no Festival. This week. No, no, not one, no, 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 no. There's anything wrong with that. Uh, just want to clarify that. Uh, uh, we'll be performing this week uh, at the District Improv Festival. So come out to the District Improv Festival at Source Theater uh, this week. So that's it. Thank you. Um, and I will be, we're just going to wrap it up, and I'm probably going to go into the bar area. So we'll probably hang out in that area. Just FYI, crowd control. Um, thank you so much for everyone coming out this evening. Give yourselves a round of applause. All right. Thank you. And as we say around here on the Sex Nerd Sandra podcast, go team fun! <laughs> Thanks, guys. Good night. <laughs>